Because a lot of people, just because you can stand up there and show some slides, doesn't mean anything changed in the minds of the audience. We have to convince the jury in the mind of the audience. And that's not easy to do, but we've got to, um, let's say, to be memorable or be unforgettable, we must elicit emotion. Yo, 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 it's your girl and boy CT. I'm Cindy Barnes. And I'm Travis Barnes. And we are the founders of The Overcomers Podcast. The Overcomers Podcast is designed to help you overcome adversity and live your dreams. Every week, we will be sharing stories of people who found their strength in their struggle. The Overcomers Podcast is sponsored by Journey 333. And that's a lot of threes, so let me tell you what it is. It's fitness, coaching, and nutrition. It is a place where we help you to look better, live better, and feel better, and it is mind, body, spirit. Today, we're going to help you get your mind right with our special guest. Hello, Overcomer Nation. Super excited about our guest here today. This is Darren LaCroix, and Darren is a world champion public speaker. Yeah, did you know that that is like the number one fear in the world? I mean, we talk about overcoming things. Well, if you like to overcome public speaking... <laughs> Wait till you hear about his first experience in 1992, where he just bombed the stage. He says, from chump to champ. So from chump in 1992 at a Boston comedy club to world champion public speaker. Super excited for the gems that he's going to share today. Darren, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I love talking about overcoming, one of my favorite subjects. Well, you have definitely overcome. Uh, 1992, it was, I guess we could start there, right? Uh, you, you had this desire to make people laugh. And, um, as you say in your bio, the, uh, headliner at the comedy club that night said, uh, don't quit your day jobs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's even, it's even worse than that. Well, just, uh, framing the background in 1992, I had just, uh, Started my own business. I uh, right after business school, I started a, a franchise, a well-known franchise, and I was so excited. I was going to be a multimillionaire, and I was going to own several units. And about a year and a half later, and this particular franchise had a ninety-eight percent success rate. Ninety-eight percent. I had to sell my franchise at a loss about a year and a half later, and I was devastated, and I was thrilled to sell it because I realized I love business. I hated the food business. I didn't. Yeah, not my thing. And so I was at a low point and sometimes the biggest life changes come at a low point. It's that, uh, you know, enough is enough. I'm, I'm, I, what do I have to lose? Why am I afraid now? I mean, my life is horrible now. So what do I have to fear? And so, uh, one of my buddies noticed I was down and depressed and he gave me these motivational tapes of Brian Tracy. And so I'm thinking these horrible thoughts um, and driving down the road, listening to these tapes over and over again. I, I, like, I was gravitating towards them, as a lot of us do who love self-development. And he asked a question. I remember I was on Route 20 um, in Shrewsbury, Massachusetts, driving down the road. And I hear this question, what would you dare to dream if you knew you wouldn't fail? I thought, if I wouldn't fail, what? I'd be a comedian. How cool would that be? Make people laugh and earn a living at that. That would be the ultimate. However, then the little doubting voice on my shoulder said, but you're not funny, <laughs> which was true. I was funny. However, 
That wasn't the question. The question was, what would you dare to dream if you knew you wouldn't fail? So it wasn't this ongoing dream. It was a dream I had when I was eight years old and I embarrassed myself at a holiday table trying to make people laugh when my cousin and had everybody in the room laughing. And I just thought, how cool would it be to bring joy to a room by what you say? You change the emotion of the room. How cool is that? So I stood up at the kids' table, threw out a punchline, and hushed my family. And I slid back into my seat as an eight-year-old, embarrassed, hurt, and of course teased by my siblings and thought, I will never, ever try to be funny again. So fast forward to 92, when I heard that question, I went back to that eight-year-old dreamer and thought, what do I have to lose? So it wasn't a big dream at this point. It was, uh, all right, I got to try this once. I got to try this once because I can't, I can live with embarrassing myself again because it's strangers. It's not my family anymore. It's strangers. I, I, I committed to doing it once because I couldn't. It, look, if you want to be an, if you're an overcomer, if you want to be an overcomer, I couldn't live with the regret of wondering what if, what if Brian Tracy was right? What if he was right? So, uh, you know, listening to motivational tapes, they said, go to people who are the best and listen to them. Listen to them. Because when I told my friends and family, they told me I was crazy. I was an idiot. That's not for you. So I didn't know any comedians. So I went to a comedy club and now I'm a quiet, shy introvert at this point. I'm still an introvert, but I'm super hyper shy, but I build up all the courage. I walk into the comedy club and after the show, I walked up to the headliner. His name is Chris. And I said, hi, my name is Darren. I want to try this. What do I need to do? And he asked me a question. He said, are you funny? I said, no. He said, good. I'm like, good. What do you mean? Good. And he went on to explain that people who are class clowns, people who are naturally funny, that's one skill set. And he said, if you took someone who's a class clown and you put them in front of 100 strangers and handed them a microphone, they couldn't make them laugh. He said, that's a different skill set, but that skill set can be learned. Yeah. An ounce of hope. He said, you don't have to be, but this is a different skill set, but that one can be learned. He said two things. Number one, you got to get the book. Like book? There's a book about how to be funny? Of course, there's books about everything. I wasn't thinking that way. So he recommended stand-up comedy, the book by Judy Carter. Number two, he said, you need to go to open mic nights and watch other people who are just starting out. Well, duh. When I told my friends and family, they compared me to Jerry Seinfeld. He's saying, go take a look at people who are just starting out. That's, that's where you're at right now. You haven't even started yet. So a couple of days later, I went to this little comedy club outside of Fenway Park in Boston called Stitches. I remember walking into the club and, uh, you know, this is, this is where the cool people hang out. The sticky floor, the stale beer. I was like, this is cool. Right. And so I remember people going up on stage for their first time and watching them and they were horrible, horrible. And I said, I could do that. <laughs> I could do that. And it inspired me. Uh, so I study, I got the book. I went to stitches every Sunday night for two months. So it was April 26th, 1992 was my day. Now 
because of who I was and where I was at that point in my life, I always chickened out of the big things. So I brought like 12 of my friends with me and I said, you make sure I go up tonight. I'm never doing this again. You make sure I go up tonight. I don't care if I kick, I scream, if I run out, like grab me and throw me back up there. But I am doing this tonight because I can't handle this. And so I went up on stage. They introduced me. It was like slow motion. Uh, I always remember a comedian that night. His name was Vinny. He brought me up on stage and I was telling my little jokes. I had my little note cards on the bar stool, but I was so nervous that my voice was going up and down and fluctuating, looking at my notes. And uh, I told this one joke about Dr. Robert Goddard, who in New England, he had vent he literally was the inventor of the rocket. He's the reason we have NASA and all that. But anyway, I was making light of towns in New England who always have that claim to fame that this happened to George Washington slept here, the Revolutionary War, the Boston Tea Party. So they're always bragging about history. So my town was bragging about that. And so I was just making light of that fact in New England. And I was so nervous that I said his rocket took off and it went vertically. If you're listening to the audio version of the podcast, I motioned horizontally. And at that instant, I realized I messed up. I just said, ah, shoot. That's not the actual word I used that moment, but you get the picture. But all of a sudden, everyone started laughing. I'm like, why are you laughing? That's not where you're supposed to laugh, but I'll take it. That's the only laugh I got that night. I remember one of the other comedians was uh, consoling me and put his arm around my shoulder as I walked off. He's like, don't worry, man. It's just your first time. I'm like, don't worry. Did you see what I did? I got a laugh. I am the king of comedy. Ah, oh, perspective, man. That's it, good. It, it was an accident. Right. I looked at it this way, that if I had one thing that worked in that five minutes of time, if I could get rid of everything else and reproduce that one thing that worked, even if it was an accident, I could do this. Yes. I never looked back. I, I was all in. I'm like, I'm going to figure this out. George Burns is 100 years old, still doing stand-up. I don't care how long it takes. I want this. So I took every class that I could. I, I took every course that I could. I got every book that I could. That was recommended by the people who were doing it. Okay, very important. For you, if you want to be an overcomer, if you are in an overcomer in process, get the book that the experts, that the people at the top say, get the book. Like you got to be a sponge, but you got to be the right sponge to the right insights from people who are knowing from experience. You know, I told my friends and family, they, they thought I was crazy. So I want to show this quick clip if that's okay. Um, this is, uh, when I tell people a story, a lot of people think, well, you know, he's over exaggerating. It couldn't be that bad. So I'll just play a couple, 10, 20 seconds of it. But here's a clip from that night. I figured I had to get seen with because of the stomach. Did anybody ever notice that any, every other small town in New England, it takes one little small historical fact Amazing, the greatest event in the world. <laughs> Sorry for my voice, like about Georgian development. Let's spun up. A lot of towns like this. Um, yeah. If you're uh, if you're uh, watching the 
uh, or listening online, I'm looking at my notes. My voice was fluctuating. It was, it was horrible. But I'm telling you that overcomer mindset that I had once I got that little tiny bit of success. Look, everyone there that night thought that I bombed. I looked at it differently. I had a tiny little bit of success. I can build on that. So, Travis, thanks for bearing with me. I just like getting through that story. But that I was, was that was amazing, and you know that just goes to show you that life is really all about perspective, right? You know, what were you looking at, and you were looking at it from the hopeful perspective that you know I had something that worked, and how can I capitalize on that? How can I grow from that? You you said something very important. Since the time of that night, you've gone on and done amazing things. Competed against twenty five thousand other contestants to become the world champion. I mean, we're talking about over 14 countries represented, and then you've gone on to write a couple books, uh, demystifying, you know, this whole process of public speaking and entertaining people. Uh, and you have a podcast and you have Stage Time University. So when you say that there are people that should read certain books, I want to give you an opportunity here to tell us what books we that we should read if we're looking to overcome this thing called being able to speak in front of people. Nice. Well, thank you for that question. And uh, so if you're interested, I have, you can go to beasponge.com and I have my top 10 speaking mistakes that you can get. I've been coaching people ever since the world championship in 2001. Uh, and I have a book called Deliver Unforgettable Presentations. Because a lot of people, just because you can stand up there and show some slides doesn't mean anything changed in the minds of the audience. We have to convince the jury in the mind of the audience. And that's not easy to do, but we've got to, um, let's say to be memorable or be unforgettable, we must elicit emotion. So it's not just telling a story, it's telling a story that elicits emotion. And just to kind of wrap up the journey, um, we've got to figure out that, what's that habit, that one habit that your mentors tell you, you need to do for whatever it is you want to overcome. What's There's usually one overriding habit. If you're in sales, it's FaceTime. Uh, well, my mentors, my comedy mentors said it's stage time. Any day that you're not on stage is a day that you don't grow. And I was like, what? What? Don't, don't I have to be good? They said, no, no, no. You have to go up to get good. And the problem was in the stand-up comedy world back in Boston in the, in the day, there was only four open mic nights in all of Boston and a hundred wannabe comedians vying for those few spots. So it's really hard to get stage time. And that's the one thing that's going to cause me to grow. So I remember sitting at my desk at Bose Corporation. I used to work for Bose in the telemarketing department. That was my wannabe day job. And this newsletter came across my desk about this thing called Toastmasters. And I'm like, what's that? I'm reading about it. I'm like, hey, wait a minute. Here's a place I could get stage time during the day. Comedy clubs are only open at night. I could fail twice a day. <laughs> if you're going to be an overcomer, you're going to make some mistakes. Guess what? You're going to learn from those mistakes, hopefully, and not make them again. So your next experience is going to be better. Look, my people who are in the know, people who are, again, those per people who've overcome in your industry, in your expertise, whatever it is you want to overcome. Look, if it's a relationship, if it's finances, if it's 
who else has overcome that that you can learn from and get the habit from them? What habit is that? So my mentor said stage time. So I found Toastmasters and I, I'm like, I'm trying to be a comedian. I don't know what a speaker is. I don't know what a Toastmaster is. So I walk into this club and as no Travis, uh, they're different. They're different from comedy clubs. And I noticed these people warm, encouraging, and sober. So I immediately joined four Toastmaster clubs because I saw that it was a place I could get stage time. Uh -huh. okay. And I didn't want to be a speaker. So at the beginning, it was just me doing the thing, working on my clean comedy stories to get feedback to become a comedian. And then eventually I found out what a speaker was. And then eventually I found out that they get paid 10 times what a comedian does. And eventually I realized, you know, after doing, I did both until 1998. I did stand up and speaking. And then I just realized that for me personally, this isn't for every comedian, but for me personally, I couldn't be in a comedy club six or seven nights a week. It was draining my soul. It's just not where I belonged. Now I'm super thankful for that experience. That experience gave me street cred and confidence in the speaking world. So I don't regret it at all. In fact, I honor it. But that led me to becoming a, you know, joining the National Speakers Association, becoming a speaker. And then in 2001, there was a speech contest and I didn't know what that was, but I realized I was doing my day job, day job. I was working, speaking anywhere and everywhere I could. And then I was marketing myself every other waking moment. The one thing I wasn't doing was working on my craft. Okay. You want to get paid as a speaker, your product, your speech has to be good. Right, 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 right. So I joined the speech contest because my mentor had said, Darren, stop trying to find that story that will launch your career and instead take the stories you already have and make them so good someone will pay to hear them. And that was a game changer for me, but I didn't listen for two years and he passed away. And then in 2001, I saw the flyer for the speech contest and I said, look, you know, here's my keynote, 45 minutes. I'm not working on anything to make it better. So I pulled out a story out of my keynote to focus on that story. It wasn't to win a trophy. It was to focus on that story to make it better, to put it back in my keynote in an improved format. My buddy Craig Valentine, world champion, says, if you want a masterpiece, you have to master the pieces. Uh -huh. So that's what I did. I didn't join the contest to win. I joined it to improve. Okay. Now, by the side effect, I won. See, I think if you're going for a trophy, that's the wrong intention. Look, let that be the side effect, not the intention. My intention was for growth. You know, now as I went up the rungs of the ladder, I will transparently say my ego got in the way a couple of times, the trophy, the trophy. And my mentor, Mark Brown brought me back, brought me back and grounded me. Uh, in fact, the night before the world championship, he said, Darren, tomorrow morning, you have the privilege of 2000 lives for seven minutes. What will you do with that? That's good. That's, that's deep. That's deep because your audience can tell your intention. 
Look, if you're trying to sell your business through a presentation, whether it's a video, whether it's text online, or whether it's you in front of a live audience, they can sense your intention. If your intention is to help them, whether they buy from you or not, they'll feel that and they'll be more likely to invest in you and your company or your system or whatever that is. So make no mistake, they can tell. And then, so from Toastmasters in 92, fast forward to 2001, uh, this was that moment. After four years of business school, I went out, I went for the American dream. I bought a Subway sandwich shop. <laughs> oh yeah. You're all impressed, I could tell. I don't want to brag or anything, but in six short months, I took a $60,000 debt and I doubled that debt. That's right. I turned Subway Sandwich Shop into a nonprofit organization. I financially fell on my face. So two quick things uh, from that. Number one, when I originally went to my coach, that story was not in version one of my speech. So if you want to be an overcomer, one of the things you need is a coach or a mentor. Mm -hmm. Need a coach or a mentor. Uh, I don't know. Depends on your area. Who that? Who's the best person? Uh, and if we looked at my career, I had three main mentors. Each of them taught me something different, and it was a different stage of my career, of my life. And so, anyway, focusing on you as the overcomer, this. If you're going to tell your story is to build your business, if that's part of what you do, I didn't want to tell this story. You know, I'm, I'm basically saying, hey, I was in a organization with a 98% success rate and I failed, you know, ego is in my way. I just came out of four years of business school. I thought I knew better than the system that had 5,000 successes. So I'm so thankful for that failure because it put me on a new trajectory and I also learned a lot because of um, having a struggling business. It forced me to get rid of most of my employees. I was working 90 hours a week, which that's how long this, the, the franchise required you to be open. Now, I was a mama's boy. I was not a hard worker. Things were given to me. I was entitled. But that subway failure problem helped grow me and grow my confidence so if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have done things like if I couldn't get stage time in Boston, I used to drive two and a half hours to Portland, Maine to go on, five, on stage for five minutes for free and then go back to my day job the next morning. Now, get this perspective. Listen up. People who are outside of your, let's say, category, my high school buddies used to tell me I was an idiot. That's ridiculous. Why would you do that? And one of them said, why don't you just get a job at a gas station? Now, my mentors back then thought it was awesome. And that got them to want to help me more. Because here's a kid who's doing it, doing the hard work. Every you're, I was the underdog. Right. Who wants to help the underdog? People are rooting for the underdog. People went out of their way to help me because of that. 
now I get to fly all over the world. I've spoken in 45 international cities, every state in the country. Now my high school buddies look at me and they say, I'm lucky. Apparently you can go from an idiot to lucky. If someone calls you an idiot, you're probably on the right path. Right. Going. <laughs> yeah, it takes a long time to become an overnight success. And uh, I'm not sure if luck played a role for you. Uh, you know, perhaps it did, but I think there's a lot of hard work behind it. You mentioned your mentor, Mark Brown. Uh, and we also talked a little bit about books. Um, you know, one of the books you wrote was The Speaker's Edge, uh, you know, Laugh and Get Rich, and then uh, Deliver unforgettable presentations now was it one of the co-authors your mentor yeah actually two of them mark brown and patricia fripp so both your mentors you know so yeah. if we, we want to learn from you and your mentors you know there's one book uh you know to go to and you know uh, a key word that you've been saying uh, or key two words that you've been saying is stage time you know you got to get the stage time and you started this stage time university now uh okay this this whole process that we're talking about is about getting the right mentors, getting a coach, reading the right books. When you call something stage time university, is there a curriculum or like what is the learning that people get from stage time university? Well, thank you for asking that. And this is what I call the math to mastery. And this is about anything, anything. You want to be a, a rock climber applies to that. You want to be a speaker applies to that. You want to be an entrepreneur applies to that. So here's what I call the math to mastery. Effort. Only you can put in the effort. Nobody else. Effort. Times or multiplied by, I come from Boston, we call it times. <laughs> multiplied by a proven process. Because if you put a lot of effort in the wrong direction, you're not going to make progress. And I, I did that. That was part of my mistake. I started off right, but then my ego and my DIY and my cheapness <laughs> took me off on a tangent. So effort times a proven process plus a qualified coach or mentor. That person who can direct you for your style, your way, and your learning. Because we can go through that proven process, but we pull our insecurities from the beginning of our life with us so we can tend to get off track. And so I so when I created Stage Time University to help good presenters be unforgettable, say the same thing, effort times a proven process. So we have curriculum of proven process, how to create a world-class speech. That's one process. How to create an unforgettable story. That's a different process. They work together, but they're two separate processes. How to get how to make them laugh. And then we call it own the stage, how to take a good presentation and make it unforgettable. What does a coach look for? What's the checklist? So, and then we, every, so that's the process. And then every week we have live coaching calls. And those live coaching calls are getting feedback from two world-class qualified coaches. So we have members from around the world, but we coach three of our members. It's nothing extra. It's part of your membership. Three of our members deliver up to 10 minutes of a story or maybe a five-minute story or a seven-minute story, up to 10 minutes of their presentation. And then my coaches give them feedback so they can see instantly, based on the experience of these decades of coaching, how to make that story better. That story will be better next week because of those 20 minutes of feedback. 
But what's cool is all of the members watch the coaching and they're part of it as well. So they go through a course, they learn the secrets of storytelling, and now they can see the application of the proven process. So whether it's them being coached or watching the coaching, um, people love it. We've been doing it for, oh man, well, you, you mentioned the Champion's Edge. That was, that's an old book, right where we got started. Um, Stage Time has been around for about eight years now, and I love what we do. We make people better, but it's finding there. Anyone can say they're a coach, but that that doesn't always actually help because some coaches try to put their style on you. A, a qualified coach is going to get to know you, understand you, and see your style. My style is animated. That's who I am. That's part of my style. Mark Brown, he's the wordsmith. And so I also know, as you probably talk about this, Travis, is a coach is not a coach is not a coach. Yeah. Even in speaking, I know that let's just, for example, a couple different coaches, Mark Brown is really good at reaching into your life and pulling out those magical stories to help make your point. Just like he did with my subway joke. You know, that was not in my version 1.0. He's like, we need a, we need a mistake. And I said, well, I used to do this joke back in stand up. And about my subway shop, he said, try it out. I did it. He's like, that's perfect. But I didn't see the value of that in me. So Mark is really good with words and pulling out content. I'm a coach. I'm a world-class coach. That's not my strength. My ninja skill, as we call it, is in delivery, is in helping people deliver the character voices in the story and how to get that across. That's a different skill set. So that's why we have a team of coaches, each with different ninja skills. Very good. Very good. That's so cool. That is awesome. I want to ask you a, a question because I uh, come from the background of being a group training fitness coach. So we believe that great fitness is great entertainment, and we've been putting the fun and functional fitness for years. However, there's something that I read from you that uh, really speaks to something I've been saying for years, which is I've always said, hey, guys, you know, if their energy's low, you know, maybe yours is too. Or, you know, if it, if it doesn't seem like it's going too well, you know, maybe you got to look at yourself right then, you know. And uh, you talked about the five minutes before somebody gives a talk and just how important they are and, and really just kind of setting the stage for the audience because so often presenters will blame the audience, you know, if something's not going, oh, you know, it just wasn't the right audience or whatever. Can you talk a little bit about that to, to share with our people? Because I, I think that this is important because you're, you're, you're sharing so many different uh, approaches that we can have to hone that skill. But I thought this was like a, an interesting aspect to, uh, to consider this a little bit beyond the normal talk. Yeah, absolutely. It's that five minutes before mindset. That's when your brain starts freaking out. So whether you're having a one-on-one -on -one interview with one of your employees or you're in front of a boardroom or you're delivering a formal presentation or maybe it's just a phone call with a client or one of your team members screwed up so you have to figure out how to create that relationship back. No matter what, five minutes before is when we freak out. So I have four questions that I ask myself just before I go on stage, still to this day. And these four, if you want to write them down, if you're listening to this, these are four questions, they're mindset changers in the critical time. So question number one, what is your intent? 
reminding yourself, grounding yourself. It's if it's that person in your audience in your company screwed up and you got to repair a relationship, what's your intent? And if your intent is to rebuild the relationship, you got to know that person's got to vent. And if you don't listen, doesn't matter what you say. Listen first, repair second. So anyway, get clear. What is your intent? And in speaking or presenting, your intent should be audience focused, not I'm the best speaker, not I'm a great speaker. No, if they walk away thinking about what they can do differently, now by proxy, by side effect, that's what makes you great. So number one, what is my intent? Number two, am I present? Am I right here right now? Forgetting about your problems. Your problems will be there when you're done. They'll probably be bigger. But this is your one opportunity to influence these people. So you've got to be present. You know, uh, Mark and I have this thing, Mark Brown and I have this thing where our, our families know when we're going on stage. And unless it's a dire emergency, you don't call the speaker an hour before or less than an hour before. Like you just, you don't. Unless it's a life-threatening emergency right now, you just don't. Why? Because it will mess up your mindset and you can't serve the audience as well. So number three uh, came from the world championship where this idea even came from to ask myself these questions. Sometimes I'm very intense and I want so badly to do good, help these people and I'm so intense. And I forget... <laughs> which my coach reminded me, I had two coaches, my other coach, Dave, reminded me, he's like, Darren, you earned this opportunity to be in front of 2,000 people. You earned it. Have fun with it. If you want them to have fun, they're never going to have fun unless you have fun first. It comes from you. And so question number three, will I have fun? You got to give this presentation even if the audience is horrible. Why not have fun anyway? You'll get a couple of them to come along with you. The rest of them, back with them. But will I have fun? And number four, the most important one, came from my mentor, Willie Jolly. He said, ask yourself this. How would I give this presentation if I knew it was my last one ever? That's good. Uh, yeah. It's a game changer. Because now you're like, oh, if this someday I'm going to give my last presentation. And maybe I die, or maybe I lose my voice, or whatever it is. I'm going to have to live the rest of my life with that as my last one. <laughs> kind of like, the for me, high school football as a senior. I wasn't going on to play football in college. That last Thanksgiving Day game, that's the one that you're going to remember how you played. Go all in. Go all in, because this could be your last and there's someone in that audience who you will never, ever have the opportunity to influence again. What will you do with that? That's really good. That's really good. And uh, so, you know, of course, it's all about, you know, using that five minutes to set the right mindset, set the right intention uh, to make sure that you do connect with that audience. And that, you know, later you're not finding yourself, geez, what was wrong with that audience? What was wrong with you? Did you get yourself started off right? Right. I have another teaching that, I was hoping to highlight on today's uh, episode. It's called the then and now story model. Clearly telling stories is very important to speaking. I guess without it, uh, we really don't have much of a presenter. 
Uh, so, you know, it's important to have models. What is the uh, then and now story model that you teach? Great question. Thank you for asking. Yeah, it's a, it's, I just put my label on it. There's different variations. Every storyteller teacher you find, they probably have their own model and they're not incorrect. I just love mine and mine fits me and my style and it follows the Hollywood format as well. But for us as a presenter, we don't have 90 minutes to tell a story. We have three minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever that might be. So one of the things when I teach entrepreneurs and speakers how to tell stories is we need to know where the where the character is then at the beginning of the story. How were they? What was their mindset? What was a day in their life? Then we introduce the circumstance, like what what's the situation where, where the story takes place? What's the backdrop? And we always teach the V-A-K-S. Give us a visual, give us an auditory, give us a kinesthetic, and give us a smell. And some people are like, why smell? Why does... Because if you want your audience to listen and be remembered, we've got to feel like we're there. And a smell is most likely to bring me there. So in one of mine, I talk about the moment when I walked in the room before the world championship. I said, you can smell the coffee in the back of the room. And it takes people there. So then we have to take our characters. We need to see them. We need to feel them. So what's a visual and what's their heart? What's their persona like? So when I introduce Mark Brown, I say, if you don't know Mark Brown, he stands about six foot two. Now, when I'm standing on a stage, you can't tell I'm short. So you can't tell what six two is compared to me. So I hold my hand up showing about how tall he is. So I say, if you don't know Mark Brown, he's uh, six foot two, a native of Jamaica, has a heart of gold and laughs like the guy from the old 7-Up commercial. Ah, 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 ah. So that usually gets a chuckle, but you can see he's taller than me. He's a native of Jamaica, so you know he's black. Um, he's got a heart of gold because at the end of the story, he, te he delivers a very direct, truthful message to me. So I want people in the audience to know that I knew where his heart was coming from. So I knew his intention was good, heart of gold. Uh, and then the laugh sets up the voice that I use at the end of the story. I, I use his voice. I say, oh, Dadden, we have some work to do. And that usually gets a huge laugh. And then I react to that, what? Uh, and then we've got to introduce a conflict right away. What's the conflict? Then we need to escalate the conflict two or three times. So how does it get worse? Dun, 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 dun. For our character, maybe it's uh, on the outside this happened, but on the inside they remember, you know, their uh, uncle telling them they were a silly and ridiculous dreamer when they were young, and they think of that. So it might be an external factor, it might be an internal factor. And then at the low point, then the guru, whoever that is, delivers the aha, the lesson learned. Right. Insight. Uh, and then then the character changes because forever now they have this new insight. So now we see where the character is now. So beginning a story, this is where they were. This is where they used to live. This is how they used to think. Here's where they are now. And it's kind of like 
if you want to influence your audience, say, with a client story that you were the guru for one of your clients, it's the when Harry met Sally principle. I'll have what she's having. You know, you help your tell a story of how you got a thousand more clients or uh, leads for one of your clients. Well, I want a thousand more leads. So in how you tell, like, obviously I could do a whole two days just on this, trying to do it concisely, but just to let people know there's, there's a model out there, whether it's mine or somebody else's, like you, if you want to tell stories, don't just tell a story. We need a transformational story of how a character was and how they are now. Look, uh, we see this every year in January, the health, nutrition, diet ads, um, before and after. You could say it that way, but I like to kind of distance myself, but short term, it means the same thing. So we need to see where your character was before they met you or before they met the guru. And then after the advice is delivered and how they live at a different level now, what's their life like now? If we use a, a quick story, there's, um, I think I'm back to the future, simple example, right at the very, now this is a scene that you, if you saw the movie, you probably don't even remember it because it's not critical to the story yet for us to understand where the character is and where how he changed we need to know that but it's not the emotional part of the story it's just the before and after the then and the now so at the beginning we see marty mcfly at the stoplight and uh, it's a red stoplight kill kid put, pulls up next to him wants to drag race him and he doesn't want to do it he knows he shouldn't he doesn't want to do it then the kid calls him a chicken and Okay, now he has to race because he can't be a chicken. At the end of the movie, little scene, he's in his new cool pickup truck with his uh, girlfriend. They pull up to the stoplight. Somebody pulls up next to him and calls him a chicken. And he races his engine. The light turns green and he just lets the guy go. He doesn't have to prove himself. So we see the character has changed. Now the whole journey is the story in the movie, but the character has changed. And brought it full circle. That's really good. Really good. You know, there's so many uh, important things you've shared with us today, but I think that there's also an overarching theme. And it's that there is a system and there is a process that we can lean on for everything, including even how to be funny. Uh, there's a process for becoming a great speaker, which was effort times proven process plus a coach in your life. You know, everything that you've given us, even just how to tell a story right there, uh, has a model. I, I want to make sure that I don't miss any gems. So I always like to ask this question. What what haven't I asked you yet today? You know, what what's an important takeaway that you would add, whether it be from your top 10 speaking mistakes or something else that our audience should know if they're on this journey to becoming a, a comfortable presenter and, a, and an unforgettable presenter? <laughs> yeah, I love the old quote by Jim Rohn. He said, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So who's in your top five? You know, one of the cool things we created at Stage Time is not just a community, but a, a team of coaches that, hey, you know, people have their jobs. They have, they're trying to build their speaking business, their um, whatever. They don't have a lot of time. Well, what if you could just spend an hour a week with us or two hours a week with these coaches? Now... You're going to get some insights every single week. I say every time you log in, you're going to get one, two, or 10 new ahas. The more ahas you'll get, 
the more you're going to grow and you get to keep those ahas. They'll take, you'll take them with you for the rest of your life, the rest of your career. So who are you surrounding yourself with? If you're the best speaker in your club or your group or whatever, yeah, it's nice to help other people, but you, who's pushing you? Who's growing? So surround yourself, whatever you want to overcome with the people, because they'll also know when to pick you up when you're down. And if you're an overcomer, you're going to have a lot of times you fall on your face. It's okay. It's even biblical. Get up and keep going. That's, that's the success. That's an overcomer. Um, and then one of the other books, like if you need a system or a process to overcome, I wrote another book called the 17 minutes to your dream, which has a process to follow because I looked at my success in speaking. And now I have another big, crazy, ridiculous dream that I'm going for, which is to sell a movie script. So I'm taking what I had, what worked for me then and applied it now and I'm documenting it. So I documented the process in the book of what worked before, what didn't work before, and now applying it to this new dream. So I just, I was just compelled that I'm like, I need to write this book. I need to write this book for the other Darren's out there that need the encouragement, need the process. Well, thank you for the books that you've written and, and the courses and the curriculum that you've created and and sharing what you shared with our audience today. If people say, you know, I, I want to get into this stage time university, or maybe I just want to follow Darren because he's a cool guy and he's easy to listen to, uh, you know, uh, where do they go? What do they do? If you want to know about stage time, go to stagetimeuniversity.com. Very simple. We have a skill level of pr presentation mastery. If you just want to work on your skills, we have a business level. If you want to become a paid speaker, you can just on the site, you'll see it. We also have two day events, three day events, workshops. So that's on the site too. Uh, if you want to follow me, I'm on Instagram, TikTok, uh, Facebook, Twitter. Um, I'm easy to find for me and my speaking. So I have my training, but me and my speaking, DarrenLacroix.com. Uh, pretty straightforward. I'm pretty easy to find. I have like 2000 videos on YouTube. Um, they're free. We have a podcast called Unforgettable Presentations. Mark and me, we sit down with Brian Tracy, Les Brown, some of the best speakers in the world to find out how'd they get there? How did they become unforgettable in their way? That's awesome. That's awesome. So not only who are you surrounding yourself with, but well, what type of things are you nurturing this dream or, or your soul or your mindset with? So go to the podcast, go to the books, go to Stage Time University. Really good. Thank you so Thanks. much. You know, yeah, real quick, like when I got to meet Brian Tracy, he said that quote that I was listening to tapes, when I got to meet Brian Tracy, it was like, I've already spent so much time with him in my car. So if you have a mentor and maybe it's the person's audio book on Audible, I'm a huge Audible fan, but you can spend time with these people on the thing that they put together to help you. Like, you know, look, if you already love audiobooks, you love audiobooks. <laughs> Go have at it, but but remain being a sponge. It was cool to meet him, but I felt like I already knew him uh, and it was a cool moment, but it wasn't new. It was like, oh, here's the guy I've been listening to in my car. Yeah. Like to, <laughs> this is happening to me today, being able to read the book and then be able to talk to you. It's, uh, it's awesome. You know, there's lots of ways to get mentors. So thank you for that opportunity as well. You know, you're my Brian Tracy today. <laughs> well, just keep doing what you're doing, my friend. You're helping people. Thank you.
We appreciate you being on the show and thank you for everything that you shared. Amen. Go get them. Stage time, stage time, stage time. Thanks for listening, Overcomer Nation. Make sure if you haven't already, give us a five-star rating. Make sure that you share this and subscribe so you can see all of our future content. That's right. And if you'd like to be a guest on a future show, go to overcomers-podcast.com. If you're interested in our franchise opportunities with Journey 333, then go to www.journeyfitness333.com. And finally, if you like what you heard today and you feel like you're somebody that needs a bit more coaching, go to travisbarnes.com. Yeah!